Now, of course, the why question is the most common of these three common questions. When, how, and why? Why would God judge us? Why would there be wrath in a day of wrath? Why cannot God just forgive? For is it not, as the French philosopher Voltaire would say, simply God's business to forgive? Is he holding a grudge? Is he malicious or perhaps malevolent? It seems so unfair to many people today. Welcome to The God-Centered Life with Josh Moody. A Story of Wrath, Part 2, on tap for today. Josh Moody is Senior Pastor of College Church, located in Wheaton, Illinois. I'm your host, Todd Bustine. Josh, this seems to be where many simply give up on the idea of God, trying to connect a God who offers both judgment and forgiveness. And this is why preachers need to focus on the cross, because Unless we have a focal point on the cross, those two things are impossible to put together. But it is at the cross where love and mercy meet, where justice and truth triumph. And at the cross, those questions, ultimately the why question, perhaps the most common question, become not only clear, but answered. A quick setup from our last session together, and then into the why. Here is Josh. As we look at Romans chapter 2, verse 5 this morning... We do so in the context of the fatherly, loving arms of the God who's revealed the gospel of rescue. And this story that we're about to tell in the context of this passage is a story of the gospel and a story of rescue if received with a soft heart. Let me read it for us. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Well, this is clearly pretty difficult verse. What does it mean? Well, in my view, Paul was simply answering three common questions about this subject. How, when, and why? When, a day that is coming. How? God's kindness, either softening like butter in the sun or hardening like clay baked in the same sun. Why? It is the public declaration of God's righteousness. Now, of course, the why question is the most common of these three common questions. When, how, and why? Why would God judge us? Why would there be wrath in a day of wrath? Why cannot God just forgive? For is it not, as the French philosopher Voltaire would say, simply God's business to forgive? Is he holding a grudge? Is he malicious or perhaps malevolent? It seems so unfair to many people today. However, Paul says quite the reverse. This day is the day when God's righteous judgment is revealed. There is a day when the wrongs that have been done will be righted. There is a day when justice will be done and be seen to be done. that public declaration of his righteousness. Here's the best illustration that I can think of for it. It's the following. Imagine if you uh, knew someone who had an infestation of flies in his house. You know, he has a fly swat and he kills flies. You've got breakfast with him one morning. He tells you that he killed 49 before breakfast. (laughs) You smile and you joke about it. Who wouldn't kill a fly? I mean, most people don't feel sad when a mosquito is swatted, you know? Say the same friend tells you they caught a mouse in his basement last night, not, not the new fangled kind of, you know, 
safe, cuddly mousetraps where you release them, they come back and eat your food or ever again. But, uh, you know, the, the, the real kind, you know, the <laughs> dead. Little tongue sticking out. Uh, you know what I mean, you've all done that, or well, most of you have. And again, you're not really offended, are you? You kind of, okay, right, fine. Say the friend has a dog that he had to put down with his shotgun that evening. Well, that's different. It has to happen sometimes, but it's pretty tough. Say he tells you about an enemy that he has, and he tells you that he has another use for that same shotgun. Say you watch the news that night, you find that person is dead, and so is his wife and his three children. And you wonder... That's yeah, one thing to kill a fly. It's a different thing to kill a child. It's one thing to hit another schoolboy in a fight during recess when you're both eight. It's another thing to punch a customer at a store. It's another thing to punch a superior officer in the army, I hear. Who would go out to the President of the United States and punch him, even if you did disagree with his policy? It's one thing to trap a mouse. It's another thing to trap a person, much less his wife and children. It's another thing to do it against God. Well, you say, I haven't done anything against him at all. I live a perfectly nice life, all on my own, all for my own agenda. Yes, you do. And you're made for him. You're renting a house, it's not your own, and you're refusing to pay rent, and you're living in it, and you're making it very nice, all for your own self, and the owner is sending request after request for payment, and you refuse to repay, and eventually he sends his own son, the owner of the house, who comes to strike a deal, and on the cross, your sin kills him. You recognize the parable of Jesus, some of us? And yes, there is a day of wrath to come when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Not because he's losing his temper or getting cross, but because there is a righteousness and it is not always done in this world and it will be declared and every wrong will be righted. And that's good news if you are in Christ. What Paul was not saying, the full songs of the discouraged person. Again, Christopher Ash, a very helpful little section. Again, he puts it like this. Paul speaks not to the penitent heart that lacks assurance, but to the impenitent heart that has a false assurance. Not the full songs of the discouraged. What Paul is saying, answering the three most common questions about this day. John Stott put it like this. Although justification is indeed by faith... Judgment will be according to works. The presence or absence of saving faith in our hearts will be disclosed by the presence or absence of good works of love in our lives. In other words, on this matter, Paul and James in his letter in the Bible both agree. We're saved by faith and the faith is to result in works. 
what Paul was not saying, what Paul was saying, third and finally, what that means to us. I think here Paul is describing for us a three-dimensional picture of a godly person. Such a godly person, if you can envision it with me, has a soft heart, his faith results in fruit, and he has treasures invested in heaven. We've considered already the the heart and the, the fruit or the works. We've not mentioned treasures which is one of the aspects of this three-dimensional picture that Paul is describing, that he's painting of a godly person. Let me try and pull that out for us before we apply it. You see, in verse 4, Paul describes God's kindness as riches. They are the riches of God's kindness. But then now in verse 5, he carries on that picture, actually, by talking what people are storing up. You see, that word is usually used of treasures. Storing up treasures. For instance, Jesus talks about us storing up treasures in heaven. Or in Matthew, he says the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and the evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in him. Or Paul uses this word when he says that we have the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. Treasures. Or again, in 1 Timothy, Paul says that we are to command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's why the King James Version translated this word here as treasures. It's identifying a play on words that Paul was making with the riches that come before in verse 4. So a godly person follows this three-dimensional picture of heart, fruit, treasure. Let's apply it. One, make sure our heart is open to receive the word. See, I'm sowing, but there's a field here. It needs to be soft. We have to cultivate softness of heart towards God and his word. To come to church prepared to hear. To be quick to repent. Now remember what Paul was not saying, the four songs of the discouraged person. What Paul is saying, answering the three most common questions, how, when, and why. But make sure we are responding with a soft heart to God. Jonathan Edwards put it like this. I am bold to assert that never was there any considerable change wrought in the mind or conversation of any person by anything of a religious nature that ever he read, heard, or saw who had not his affections moved. Never was a natural man engaged earnestly to seek his salvation while his heart remained unaffected. Never was there a saint awakened out of a cold, heartless frame without having his heart affected. He who has no religious affection is in a state of spiritual death and is wholly destitute of the powerful, quickening, saving influences of the Spirit of God upon his heart. And we have to seek God by prayer, by reading the Bible, by humbling ourselves, by asking for the work of His Spirit in our lives, by repentance, to have a soft heart, melting like butter, pliable, malleable, to receive the good news of the gospel. Next up, the precarious topic of 
faith and works. But first, a reminder that Josh Moody is senior pastor of College Church located in Wheaton, Illinois. Josh's preaching ministry is made available via this program, The God-Centered Life. And we thank those who have made this distribution possible. Back into Romans chapter 2 now. Here's Josh. To make sure our faith results in fruit or works. This is such a tricky communication to get this accurate in our minds. It, it, it reminds me a little of the story of the carefully planned and hugely expensive advertising campaign that Pepsi-Cola used to attempt to launch their product for the first time in China. Uh, they could not work out why sales kept falling rather than rising despite all their hard work and then somebody pointed out that their international slogan at the time, come alive with Pepsi, when translated into Mandarin, actually meant, Pepsi brings your ancestors back from the grave. (laughs) We so easily get this wrong. Let me put it like this. Being gospel-centered does not mean doing nothing about it. As we focus on Christ, we will want to follow Christ. As we set our hearts on things above, we will want to invest in things above. As we reflect on the cross and resurrection, we will want to live lives characterized by the character of Jesus. Perhaps the best way is to be practical. Take notes on sermons. Write down carefully what it is that God is asking you to do. Keep that goal and check against it to see if it is accomplished. Am I serving? Am I repenting of this particular sin in my life? If you are a Christian, your life's mission will be to glorify Christ. To make that your mission and then have practical steps to do that this year, this week. So have a soft heart to receive the good news of the gospel. Make sure our faith results in practical fruit or works. And then the third in this three-dimensional picture of the godly man that Paul was painting here is the storing up. What are we treasuring? Are we treasuring heavenly investments or are we treasuring earthly investments? I was uh, shocked to discover this week that there is a small but significant percentage of our members who give nothing at all towards our ministry. Now, perhaps some give cash in the plate, and so it's not part of the statistic. Perhaps some are particularly hard up and Of course, when the plate is passed, uh, some give electronically. But we can all give something, (laughs) even if it is a widow's mite, 25 cents. Those who are particularly rich, which probably means most of us here this morning globally, 
Those who are particularly rich are called to abound in giving, to excel in giving, yes. But we are all called to do something. And we are called to invest in the one institution that will last for eternity, the church. I served in parachurch organizations. We send people to work for parachurch organizations, but in heaven they will not exist. Only the church. And so you want to prioritize your giving to the local church because that is a primary way for you to treasure up investment in heaven. Perhaps the devil has no stronger foothold in the suburbs of Chicago than in our pocketbook. You know the old joke? The last part of a person to be converted is their pocket. <laughs> Perhaps it's time for some of us to have that part converted. Now, our budget is at 94%, so this is not with an agenda. We're doing fine. But our budget should always be at 100% or slightly above, it seems to me. <laughs> If we each gave our 10% of our income, we would have plenty more resources, easily do that and more, for reaching our world for Christ. Perhaps the pocket is not actually the last part of a person to get converted, or if it is, it is only to be followed by that very last part of many of us to get converted, which is our right foot as we drive. But this passage is not about speeding. It is about treasuring. What Paul is not saying, the four songs that loop around the discouraged, what Paul is saying, answering the three most common questions about that day, when, how, and why, what that means for us, this three-dimensional picture of a godly man against which he's comparing this description, heart, soft, melting like butter under the word, fruit, abundant works, and treasure in heaven. Yeah, it's an overarching story of the gospel. And if our heart is soft, it's good news. And if our heart remains hard, on that day we will lose more than a tail. Let's pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would help us, you would work in us, you would soften our hearts. Father, I pray for that person who's wandered into church this morning and is looking to discover reality and they're faced with this story of that day 
I pray you'd help that person to see that on that day all the evil in the world, all the abuse and rape and ethnic cleansing and religious pharisaism and judgmentalism, all that will be put right. And by your spirit, would you cause that person to see their own unrighteousness too, their judgmentalism, their anger, their sin. And so would you cause them by your spirit to have a soft heart to you, Jesus, and to repent and put their faith in you. Would you do that for us all? Would you give us abundant fruit? We pray, Father, that uh, the gospel here, as nominal Christianity wanes, the gospel here would thrive. We pray for hearts radically transformed by the power of the gospel, living lives increasingly like yours, Jesus, a light to the nations. And if that means, Lord, that we need to treasure the right thing by putting our treasures in heaven, would you help us to do so and to see the wonderful life that is truly life on offer, the freedom and passion and glory and immortality and love and peace that comes as we abound in good works by your Spirit bearing abundant fruit. Cause us to forgive each other, Lord Jesus, to have mercy on each other as you have had mercy on us and to live lives transformed by the gospel. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. That's Josh Moody and this is The God-Centered Life. And Josh, earlier we talked about repentance as doing something. There was an action associated with it. And mm-hmm. in today's study, we revisit the call to action as fruit or works. Now, my question is this. How do we make sure those works are because of the cross mm-hmm. and not in place of the cross? Yeah. Well, it's a great question, and it's a question that, frankly, has confused the church for hundreds of years, and and it's confused many people. And the book of Romans is the antidote to that. I mean, so one answer to your question, Todd, would be to read the book of Romans and listen to uh, teaching on Romans, because the whole of the book is about that. Similarly, uh, the book of Galatians, uh, Luther famously called it his Katerina von Bora, his (laughs) his wife. He loved it so much. At its very heart is to understand that what we need is to be rescued, but then having been rescued, we are transformed by the grace of God to be new. So what God does for us is he makes us new. And then as newborn babes, we crave spiritual milk. As a new creation, we are therefore different people, and we start to live differently, including doing good works and all the rest. But doing good works will no more save us than as... Uh, the great preacher George Whitfield did it, trying to climb to the moon on a rope of sand. I like that there's actually a, a transfer of responsibility because that transformative experience makes us into a different person. And so, therefore, it is not us who is responsible for coming up with just the right actions to fall into God's favor. It's downstream of that transformative experience. Right. So, biblically, we are, outside of Christ, dead. Hmm. So a dead, a, dead, a dead person cannot do anything. Yeah. 
So, but then we're made alive, and now we live, yeah. and that includes works. Yeah, that's fantastic. Good, good, good. Well, I, I thank you for that, Josh. And I thank you for Authentic Spirituality. We've got a couple more days where we're offering up uh, your latest book, and I'd love for listeners to take advantage of that. They can do that by going to GodCenteredLife.org. We're completely listener-supported in return for a gift of any amount. We'll send you this book just a couple more days for you to be able to pick this up off our website. That web address one more time, GodCenteredLife.org. Next time we get together, just how important is the resurrection? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the fact that establishes Christianity. Yet, skeptical philosophers of our modern age think that no one can believe in this miracle anymore. We're going to take a look at the book of John when we get together next time. GodCenteredLife.org resources view. And this is your warm invitation to join us when we next gather around God's Word here at the God-Centered Life with Josh Moody.